This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next two hours, Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. And we got a lot to talk about tonight. <laughs> we're going to start with uh, with ASU basketball. We'll get into the Suns. Uh, we'll certainly we'll reflect on Kobe uh, a little bit as well. And uh, the Super Bowl's coming up. It's still almost two weeks away, but we got some NFL to talk about for sure. Uh, Mel Kuyper has his latest mock draft out. What does that mean for the Cardinals and some of the other teams around the Cardinals? But we got to start with ASU basketball because at this point, it feels like it's completely off the rails. You know, I, I I looked at this even going into the game against U of A at Desert Financial Arena last Thursday, even before they lost that game, and it was starting to feel like a lost season, not so much because of anything ASU had done wrong up to that point, although they had lost quite a few games, but they had a lot of other games that were postponed, and it, it's just, it is weird when you're like, you're preparing for one team, and then all of a sudden you find out, there was one of the games morning of, they found out they weren't going to be playing. And then it just it, you know you're all of a sudden you're preparing for another team or you're not preparing at all you're you know you're dealing with with bigger uh, issues so I get that that is a major reason why this is a lost season but they haven't won a game since December 13th and last night against U of A <laughs> that to me was even worse than losing on Thursday on a buzzer beating putback tip in whatever you want to call it by U of A like that was more painful on Thursday. ASU was down 12 nothing before you could even really settle in last night. And this just has a, a feel of a team that isn't a team. I mean, it was unwatchable last night. And I know they came back and they made it, what they ended up losing by 13. I think they cut it to nine in the second half. But something's just not right with this team. I know there are a lot of external factors. I just laid them out there for you. And they had the Marcus Bagley injury early. I mean, they came out in those couple of games around Thanksgiving, and it was like, okay, this team, Josh Christopher looks legit. I was watching Josh Christopher thinking, this guy's going to put up 30-plus points in a game this season. And ASU's going to be a good basketball team. ASU's got the talent. And I know that this is sort of the other side of the coin. When you get to a level where you have expectations, the disappointment hurts that much more when you are disappointed. I understand that. But, I mean, this team this year, to have two guys that are supposed to be first-round picks if they come out in the draft, and who knows if Marcus Bagley and Josh Christopher would both be first-round picks uh, if if the draft were tomorrow at this point anyway, and who knows if they're both going to leave. I don't think the season has done much to raise their stock. But to have that level of talent, and you can tell these guys are talented, and I'm, I'm not pinning it on them. Just something, something just doesn't seem right. It just, I mean, I know that's that's easy to say after a 13-point loss that really was more lopsided than the score indicates. But they just, they just don't have, we've seen ASU teams in the past not have nearly as much talent, but look a lot more cohesive. We've seen teams coached by Bobby Hurley in Tempe in the past not have this much talent, but just look better. You know, there's questions now whether any of this is true or not, but there's questions about leadership. There's questions about, you know, is this because it's the one-and-done era and you have a couple guys that are on their way probably to the NBA after just one season? So how invested do you get collectively as a team 
if there is any adversity. And if that's part of it, then obviously this year is the extreme because there's a ton of adversity for everybody this year. But for this basketball team to to struggle the way they are, to be 4-8, and eight, come on, they won, again, they haven't won a game since December 13th. It's January 26th. They'll play Cal on Thursday. But I, I, I don't know. It just They don't look like a team that's about to turn the corner. You, you sort of had that hope, or at least I did, going into these two games against U of A, where it was like, U of A really doesn't have anything to play for. ASU should be able to go out there and maybe grind out at least one win. And if you could somehow get two, maybe that jump starts you towards turning the corner here and, and making this interesting down the stretch. But they just, they I don't know. Something's missing. This is Bobby Hurley after the game last night. Yeah, I felt like, uh, you know, we didn't, we lacked energy early in the game. Um, kind of lethargic out of the gate. Um, I got to do a better job of getting us ready to play early in the game. We, uh, you know, they were, they were more aggressive. They were, uh, you know, they, they got, you know, a few transition baskets, which with our speed and quickness, we should not give up. And, uh, you know, those are really tough plays. I thought we took some really challenging shots. So our shot selection was not was not really good. Yeah, I, I don't understand how U of A is the hungrier team. And I didn't have a problem with Hurley on Thursday night being upset about the, the, the blown call late. Like I said on the show Friday, I mean, it's the Pac-12. Pac-12 officiating in basketball has been bad for as long as I can remember. It, it goes both ways. So you're sort of... It's a fruitless endeavor to complain about Pac-12 officiating because you're not the first coach that's ever done it, and obviously it's not getting fixed. But I didn't have a problem with him doing it, especially at the college level. I know some people look and they're like, "Well, you got to set a better example." Like, yeah, come on, okay, fine. He was upset about a, a very bad missed call at the end of a game. It didn't cost ASU that game, but in the moment, I mean, it, it certainly looked like it because it was the most obvious missed call. But there were missed calls on both sides. We don't have to rehash all that. I'm just saying I didn't have a problem with it. Because at the college level, he's up there standing up for his guys. And you don't want your team to take on that mentality of like, oh, we're getting screwed over all the time. I, I, yeah, it's, it's a fine line. But I don't have a problem with a coach going up there and going to bat for his guys, especially when this team just needs a win, some sort of win. Ideally, it would have come over U of A. That's obviously not going to happen now. You had two chances. But they just need anything to be able to celebrate on that team right now. So I didn't have a problem with him coming out. I didn't have a problem with him tweeting out. The still photo, I, I know the NCAA did, but I didn't. But man, you got to follow that up with, a, with, with either a win or a great effort. I just don't understand how that team comes out flat. I think Bobby Hurley's a good coach. I mean, there's, there's certainly, it's, it's, uh, it hasn't been a good year for him. But I don't know, I don't, I, I, the easy way to look at that is to say, well, the team came out flat, must be the coach's fault. And maybe. I just don't think that's it. And Bobby Hurley is fired up at all times. I, I just feel like something else is off with this team. How do you not, how do you come out flat against U of A? It's your rival. Don't you want to avenge what happened on Thursday? And then look, I give ASU credit. These are you know, these are college players, they're not professional athletes. They did fight back in the second half. They still have the talent to go on a run here in the second part of the season, but they are running out of time. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. 
Well, we'll start with the Phoenix Suns. They have tonight off. They've had a little bit of a break here. They'll be back in action tomorrow night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Suns certainly fit that uh, that category of a team that could use a win right now. There's a lot of teams in this uh, this this city that could use a win right now. Uh, and the Suns are right there with them. The Suns obviously in a much better spot than ASU. But now they've dropped to seventh in the Western Conference. It's early to be looking at the standings like every day and being like, oh, if you win, you're in fifth. If you lose, you're in tenth. Like, I, yeah, okay. But I think the bigger picture is to look and say, you know, Golden State's right there, and they're getting better. San Antonio's right there. I mean, they're always just right there, aren't they? Dallas is right there. And you, you would assume, I mean, the, the Mavericks have lost a couple in a row, but that is the team that you think will be in the top eight. And, and as I'm most concerned, really, the top six, I, I feel like the Suns team has the talent especially if DeAndre Ayton is going to play the way he's been playing, where they need to be a top six team in the Western Conference. Don't even deal with the play-in. Like, if you're seventh and you're leading the way in the play-in, it's it's a relatively, I don't want to say easy, but it's an easier path. I mean, the NBA has done a good job of that this year, where seventh has a, a distinct advantage over, say, ninth or tenth to make the actual playoffs. But just get in the top six. If DeAndre Ayton's playing like this, you got to be in the top six. You do. So that'll be a big one tomorrow against Oklahoma City. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was asked today where his game has improved the most. I'd say the defensive end. Um, Chris Paul letting me know the type of anchor I am on the defensive end for his team. And, you know, just having confidence with somebody on the floor, even when he doesn't have the ball. You know, just Chris Paul just being our facilitator and, you know, just finding us in our spots and keeping a certain pace to this game and keeping us in our offenses. You know, it, it, it brings, it's a lot of chemistry we have to work on, but it brings a fluidity when, when it comes to the game of basketball and how to play it. Jay Crowder brings a big piece. And, you know, we've seen him last game knocking on the biggest shots. And then dudes who've been in situations and sophisticated. It's a lot, man. And it brings, it's contagious. It's very contagious, you know, to bring that type of competitiveness to, to, to a young group, and we're ready. Yeah, we kind of touched on this last night on the show. We'll get more into it later on. We're going to hopefully talk to Kellen Olsen as well. But just that, you know, if you had that decision, would you rather have DeAndre Ayton playing the way he's playing, or would you rather have the Suns winning games right now? And it's, you know, on, on the surface, it's like, well, I'd rather have the team win. Like, you want Ayton to play well so the team wins. That don't Let's not lose sight of the of the finish line here. But if you're just going like right now, if the Suns have to lose a few games early in the season in a year where 10 teams at least get a shot at the playoffs in each conference, but Aiton is like permanently turning the corner, it might be worth the trade-off. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're saying, would you rather have Aiton have a good year or the Suns make the playoffs? I want the Suns in the playoffs. But right now, in this moment, if he is permanently turning the corner, I don't want to sacrifice games right now. I shouldn't have to. If he's playing well, that should be... that. It, directly should correlate to wins it's not at the moment but him turning a corner potentially I mean that is that is huge obviously big picture uh Coyotes at home tonight they will take on the Anaheim Ducks so they finally get to play somebody other than Vegas for the first time in five games and of course today the anniversary unfortunately of when we lost Kobe Bryant uh, a year ago today uh, Kobe his daughter seven other people in that helicopter just a, a such a surreal moment for everybody uh, I just randomly happened to be in LA when it happened and I just remember the the feeling you could just we were at a beach and and you could 
there was this disbelief, obviously. I feel like there's still sort of disbelief a year later. And there was this sort of feeling, or you could tell as more and more people, this is back when people could be around other people, when uh, when people were kind of realizing what had happened, they're checking their phones, and there was just this uh, just this feeling hanging over the day. I know it was it was that way everywhere, and it wasn't just that day. It was for really a few weeks after that. But, uh, but especially to be in L.A., I'm sure if it was any iconic athlete, there would have been that feeling to a certain extent in L.A. But, I mean, you're talking about Kobe Bryant, what that guy meant to the city of Los Angeles and all sports fans there. Uh, it was just it was very it was a very, very strange day that you just I won't ever forget that. And, you know, the, the thing that has really stood out since that day, and it shouldn't be a shock, but. It is overwhelming how much Kobe Bryant influenced like every player, every young player in the NBA right now. Like I knew, like okay, Devin Booker looked up to Kobe, and and you know Damian Lillard. Man, it's just it's everybody. You realize the impact he had not only on the game as one of the greatest players of all time, but also just on the basketball community and beyond that. Really, it wasn't. It's not just basketball. I mean, it's. You know, I'm not, I'm not even just talking about the exact day it happened, but in the year since, just the uh, the impact that that he and his career clearly had on on athletes at the highest level in every sport. And uh, I mean, just a a terrible day a year ago, and it's um, just a horrible anniversary, but but certainly a significant one uh, today. When we come back, we will get into the Phoenix Suns and uh, what the week ahead looks like for them and uh, what exactly is going on with DeAndre Ayton. Is this uh, is this turning a corner for for good? We'll talk about it next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, welcome back. Uh, I lied. I said we were going to talk about the Suns here. We're actually going to hold off for one segment. When we come back next segment, we're going to talk to Kellen Olsen and get his thoughts on what he has seen from the team, specifically DeAndre Ayton, but just the team in general, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, everything, uh, down this, uh, this, this recent run of games. For now, let's focus on the NFL. Uh, Mel Kuyper, you know, there's so many mock drafts that come out during mock draft season, but when Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, some of these other guys – uh, specifically, when they put their mock drafts out or their new versions of mock drafts, to me, I, I just take more notice. They just kind of ring more in- importance because they've been doing this for so long. And so, looking at Mel Kuyper's today, he uh, he puts one out that has a it has credibility with me. I mean, it's Mel Kuyper; he doesn't need it from me. But when you have quarterbacks towards the top, he has Trevor Lawrence going number one. Uh, he has Zach Wilson going number four. Justin Fields going seven, not playing this game of like, well, you know, are any quarterbacks going to go outside of Trevor Lawrence in the top 10? Just this stupid game that we seem to play with some of these mock drafts every year. And then like three of the top six picks are a quarterback. Uh, He has Mac Jones going 15th, the Alabama quarterback to New England. That's one pick before the Arizona Cardinals, who he has taken Caleb Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech. A lot of the mocks, seemingly more and more, have the Cardinals taking a corner. It's not always the same guy. Like CBS had one uh, out today, too. They have them taking J.C. Horn, the corner out of South Carolina. But the theme is is getting pretty consistent. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You don't know for sure if you're going to have Drake Kirkpatrick or Patrick Peterson back. 
So even if you even if you get one of them back, it doesn't hurt to draft another corner. But if you don't have either one of them, or let's say, with all due respect to, to Dre, if you just don't have Patrick Peterson back, you're going to need help at that position. How long have we seen this team look for a corner opposite Patrick Peterson? And, you know, you drafted Byron Murphy, and Drake Kirkpatrick's been pretty good, but, I mean, it took years and years, and every year, seemingly, in training camp, we were like, okay, what, what are they going to do opposite Patrick Peterson? Like, even when he was at his absolute best shutdown corner, the best in the business, you always had in the back of your mind, like, okay, well, even if he shuts down this side of the field, the team that they're playing can just throw to the other side of the field. They have to find somebody. So if there's any chance you don't have Patrick Peterson, you're going to need to try and find that guy. Not that I think you're going to get the next Patrick Peterson with the 16th pick in the draft. Those guys don't come along in every draft in general, even if you had the top five pick. But you're a lot more likely to find the next great Cardinals corner in the first round of a draft, even if it's the middle of the first round, than you are in free agency or a trade. Those guys are so expensive. If they if they ever even hit the open market, there's a bidding war. And as far as trades, Bill O'Brien's not running a team anymore. You can't count on some other team trading away their best player and, and, and not getting a fair return back. And even if even if Bill O'Brien was in the league, it's tough to get a a very good corner off of a team. So I just, when you weigh all that, even if they bring Patrick Peterson back and they say, look, this guy's still good, maybe he's not great anymore, but he is still good, okay, it's not, you know, maybe you go in a different direction at that point just because you have other needs. But I don't think anybody's going to look at the Cardinals if they draft a corner in this, this upcoming draft in the first round and say, what are you doing? That's a waste of a pick. Either you're keeping Patrick Peterson and you're drafting the next guy down the line. And maybe a guy that steps in, you know, with Byron Murphy or it's just, look, there's injuries every year. Uh, Byron Murphy is he's good. He's getting better. He's not a finished product. Or you don't have Peterson and it's like, OK, you better get somebody. And I don't really want to be looking through the waiver wire or free agency of, of not at that position. You know, Steve Kime, for for the areas where he has struggled as GM, one of the things he's very good at is finding those sort of bargain basement, you know, guys on, on maybe on the, on their last uh, run with something to prove or, you know, he's, he's good at finding guys off the scrap heap and making them into players. And that's, that's fine at certain positions, but you can't do it at corner, not in the NFL, not in, in 2021. You just can't. So it does make a lot of sense for the Cardinals to go out there and potentially draft one at, at 16 Yes, they have other needs. Uh, I mean, in a perfect world, you would just be like, okay, well, let's uh, let's draft our number two wide receiver. That would be more fun, probably on on draft night. But you gotta you gotta shore up that secondary, especially. And and, and I shudder to think about this, but especially if the 49ers are going to upgrade a quarterback, I don't think they're getting Aaron Rodgers, but they're going to upgrade a quarterback. So you're going to be dealing with Russell Wilson. Somebody at, at at quarterback for the 49ers that should be an upgrade that now has weapons with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and uh, even even the Rams. It's going to be harder for them to upgrade from Jared Goff, but they've got weapons in in that passing game. Whether it's Cooper Cup, uh, Van Jefferson, so it's it's a position of need. It feels like it's always a position of need, even when they had Patrick Peterson at his best. But now 
You don't have Patrick Peterson at his absolute best. You might not even have Patrick Peterson at all. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk to Kellen Olson, get his thoughts on the Phoenix Suns, what has been happening, what needs to happen. That's next at the Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Joined on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line by the one and only Kellen Olson. Uh, Kellen, first of all, thanks for the time. How is it? Uh, how's life covering a basketball team that I feel like is better than their record? It's bizarre because I believe that real hope and real expectations for this team has brought on. If you think about when Twitter and like this kind of era of like being a fan, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. Being a fan with this level of access and like interact interactivity and stuff. This is the first time the Suns have had one of these types of teams because they've had a good team before, but that was the 48 win year with Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe, when this was supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league. So even when they were losing, it was like still, oh, well, whatever. We weren't expected to be here anyway, you know? Now there's real hope and expectations. And with that becomes comes like just a level of, I don't know how else to say it, just rage after some losses that I'm not used to. And it's, it's, it's taking some acclimating, but the good kind of acclimating, because this is much better than before when no one cared because it didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> now that people care, it's better, for sure. Uh, you have a good piece up on Arizona Sports today talking about uh, the, the recent losing skid and uh, the, well, the title is Why the Suns' Recent Losing Skid Shouldn't Set Off Alarms. And one of the areas you focus on, the first one, and, and it would make a lot of sense, is DeAndre Ayton. So I want to start there. So many times over the last two plus years, we've talked about DeAndre Ayton and why he can't do this or what's missing or this or that. The last four games have been, it's it's definitely been the best four game stretch of his career, as you said in the piece. I, good luck even finding the second one that's even close. What um what specifically has looked different to you over the last week? It's it's a lot. Uh, the way I phrased it in there, and, and this is one of those things where you have to think about it and then realize that it's, it's probably accurate, is that this is probably the most important on-court development the Suns have had in the past at least a year, probably two. Now, I know them like building cohesion and playing the right way, and the 8-0 start was really good, but, I mean, you look at how important DeAndre is to this team – long term and the way that he was playing uh, the best way for me to describe it is that even when he was playing ultra aggressive during these little spurts over his first two seasons and change it never felt like he was still playing with a full level of confidence and I feel like that's what we're seeing out of him particularly in the game on Saturday where he outplayed Nikola Jokic he won that matchup decisively on both ends of the court in my opinion and was the best player in the game and if you remember the very end of that game, Nikola Jokic has a second-to-last possession. He shoots an air ball. And then at the last possession of the game, Jamal Murray, which should have been the last possession of the game, he traveled. They didn't call it. They said the day later that it was a travel, but it wasn't. Denver goes on to win the game. But if that would have been the end of the game, which it should have been, DeAndre Ayton's defense forced that travel. And he would have been the story of the game, really, on both ends of the court. Um I don't really know what's what's next for him uh, outside of obviously consistency and doing it. And the answer is like, does this change bring consistency for him? There is no one who knows that. And and I don't even I don't even think if he knows it. If I, if I'm being 100 percent honest, just following him and, and hearing him talk the past two years, I don't think any of us really know until we're going to see it or not. And it doesn't have to be every single game, but just there's such a huge difference from getting this one or two 
games out of every 10 compared to like six, seven, eight, nine, even half of the games. It's going to be such a huge difference for this team to have that guy more nights than they don't. It changed the outlook of their team. And the example I made in the pieces, if you look at the way this team has, has uh, played this at the start of the year with Mikel Bridges being a guy who averages 15 points a game and how much it's changed things for them offensively, you think about how much that's going to change for this team with DeAndre playing the way he has. And then all of a sudden, you've really got this core four of players with the top two, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, not even really playing that well yet. So the ceiling for the team just goes so much higher if DeAndre's playing this way. Uh, you characterized it as direct and decisive the way he's been playing over the last week. And, and you know, for the last couple of years, we've all been kind of waiting for something to drive him to this, whether it is he hears the criticism, it puts a chip on his shoulder, he just gets fed up with being, you know, kind of middle of the pack or whatever. And then you get CP3, you bring him in, and everybody thinks, okay, well, he's going to be the one that pulls this out of Aiton. What is it? What is driving this? Is it as simple as, hey, Chris Paul's here, Jay Crowder's here, and these are vets that, that know how to win in this league? I think that's part of it. He's also had um, always had good response games. Either his play hasn't played been that well, and there's been a little bit of discussion about it, or it's as bad as the Washington game was, which was there was a huge level of conversation around him to the point where a lot of our conversation on our air that next day, uh, from my, for me listening individually at least, felt like there was a need to kind of like defend DeAndre because there was so much heat on him that it still had to be reminded what he does well on the court. Like there's missed potential there for sure. Um, and, and that wasn't a wrong point of the conversation to take, but that was the level it really got to. And now we just see this huge response out of him. Now the next step for him is to not need to re- respond, right? It's like you you don't need you don't need a response to fuel you to play your best basketball or whatever. It would be great if he took two games where there's not a huge matchup on the line or there's not a huge amount of criticism. It's coming after a three day stretch where they don't play any games and all the main conversation is around the Suns in terms of the top at the number one is how well he is playing right now. Oklahoma City is going to be here on Wednesday. They've either got Al Horford, who has sat out half the games this year resting and, and is pretty washed at this point of his career, or they've got a second-year guy named Isaiah Roby. I don't know if you've heard of Isaiah Roby before. Luke, he's 6'8", 230, and that, that's their backup center, basically. That's how um, unfortunate this turn is taken for OKC with the amount of roster reconstruction that they've done. That's a matchup that he should thoroughly dominate. And then Golden State's here the next day. They've got either the rookie James Wiseman or Kavon Looney, who's a backup center. Both those guys he should dominate as well. So I would love to see, like, the obvious kind of turn happen, right? I know that that might be kind of unfair to say, but but that's that's what I'm kind of talking about. There aren't really any huge expectations for him to bounce back because he already has. I, I want to see the next step of consistency. And doing it against guys that he should is that, if that makes sense. It's kind of the opposite. Like he always, he he seems to really play well when he plays the the guys that he looks up to and and like loves playing against, like Gobert, like Jokic, like Stephen Adams. I would love to see it against these guys that he he should dominate. Yeah, it's a great point. Now the the strange part here is Aiton's had these four really good games. The team is one and three, and as you pointed out, they really should be two and two if if not for a missed uh, a very big missed traveling call at the end of Saturday's game. I, I, my my thought looking at this, I mean, I know they're eight and seven this year. They were eight and seven after fifteen games last year. This feels like a different team. This feels like. You're building a puzzle, and all the pieces are there finally. They're just not put together yet. But in your mind, Kellen, what is what should this team look like when they get rolling? 
they're going to be very good when they get rolling, and, and I think it's going to happen. Um, if you look across the league right now, there are really only five or six teams that are all systems go. Uh, the sixth seed in the East right now, I believe, as of Tuesday afternoon, is the Atlanta Hawks, and they're 500. The Suns are one game over 500 right now as the seventh seed. Like There are a bunch of teams that are either a game or two over 500, 500, or a game or two under that are all figuring this out. And then it's like the Clippers, Lakers, Jazz, Nuggets, 76ers, and then I believe the Bucks. And then every other team is kind of floundering a little bit. And the Suns are in there, and that's just the reality of this season. It's a very simple answer and probably one people don't want to hear, but I just think that some things you looked at that might take 10 to 20 games in a regular season might take 30 to 40 in this one. And it's a very complex dynamic. This was not as simple as just inserting this here and and just seeing immediate better results. It was always going to take time for this group to gel. And I think the part that we, uh, at least for me personally, that I uh, overlooked was how Chris Paul's style of play was going to fit in this system and in the .5 offense and in a a faster pace because they're playing the second slowest pace of any team in the league right now, and that's all Chris Paul. Monty Williams wants to play a little bit faster. I think that's why we've seen Cam Johnson in the starting lineup. I think that's why we saw Abdul Nader playing the last couple of nights. I think they want to get faster. They've been pushing inbounds passes more as like a little thing to kind of pick up the pace a bit. And I think that they're going to find that balance soon, but it's a lot of different uh, factors that we didn't really consider that they've got to figure out. And one of the big steps is hopefully complete, which which is getting DeAndre to play at a higher level and play with more aggression. And if this continues, then they've done that, and that's a huge progress point forward that we shouldn't overlook. Uh, Devin Booker, I mean, anybody that, that has the conversation and says, okay, well, the Suns aren't winning right now, and, and, and you, if you're going to be worried, you should be worried about Devin Booker. I, I just laugh at because he's the one guy on this team I'm, I'm not ever going to worry about. I mean, Chris Paul, too, but at least Chris Paul is later in his career, so if he struggles at all, you can say, okay, maybe it's this. But Booker, he's still averaging 23 points a game, 22.9. Is there... Is there a scenario where this team is making the playoffs where maybe he just doesn't have to put up the points he put up in years past? Yeah, for sure. Just because they're a defense-first team right now and and just because Chris Paul can handle the load of the offense if Booker is going to play more of a supporting role, uh, Castrol, I don't think that he's going to be that. And I think that he's going to have a month or a a three-week stretch here coming up pretty soon where he averages like 30 a game. Uh, I think that it's going to come for him. He has always just been a rhythm and flow-based player, and we've seen it in these games where they throw junk defenses at him early in his career where he's taken out of games, and it affects his rhythm. And this is the same thing with all the stuff they're going through um, as a team. I think DeAndre's play, you saw how much it helped Chris Paul in terms of his playmaking in those two games in Denver with the high assist totals. I think it'll only help Devin as well. And I just think that he's got like three, four more levels to show people um, from what he's playing at right now, which I think people are hopeful of. But I think that it's obviously coming too. Uh, he was the guy who said five games into the season that these are like pickup games with high stakes right now because of how little they've played. He's a guy that plays and thinks about basketball 24-7, 365. So when it's two months out from the season, he's already been playing fives. Like he's already been playing pickup the whole time. Guys couldn't do any of that, obviously, in the middle of a pandemic. So for someone like him, I just think it's going to take a little more assimilation. And I think that's totally normal. And it's just going to really hit an overflowing point here pretty soon when they get 
a notch of chemistry. I think the main thing to watch for with him is either he gets going or, or Chris Paul gets going, and that's going to help the other guy. So I think if Chris Paul starts to get way more comfortable here in the next week or two, that's going to help Book a ton. And if it happens for Book, I think it's going to help Chris. And, and one of them is going to get there. That's the thing. Both of them are not going to play like this all year. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, and, and I mean, to your point, what they're doing right now isn't even bad. It's just I think we all expect that three- or four-week stretch where Devin Booker just takes over games. Maybe he doesn't have to this year, but you know it's it's there in him. Kellen Olsen, great stuff. Uh, before I let you go, I do have to ask you, it's basketball, it's not the NBA, but can you explain to me what is going on with ASU basketball? I know you're not you know, religiously watching the Sun Devils, but I know you watch the Wildcats, so what, what did you see on the other side of the court last night? They have a lack of offensive execution where there isn't really much of a system there offensively from what I can tell, but for whatever reason, I don't know if this is what Bobby Hurley actually wants his teams to be like or whatever, but if you look back at the successful teams, the ones with Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, and Cody Justice, none of those three guys were natural point guards either. And then you look at this team, I had to listen to a lot of people tell me for a year or two about Remy Martin that he was a natural point guard, and I've just never seen the floor instincts or just the playmaking ability out of him, and we've really seen that exposed during this stretch. Obviously, Alonzo Burge, Josh Christopher, Bagley, there's a lot of talent there, but in terms of like a raw ball handler, even go to their bench, Holland Woods is more of a scoring guard. Jalen House is really just out there for defense. So I, there's no floor general to kind of help them out of offensive um, ruts because if Martin doesn't have it going, Verge is going to start taking the bad shots. And if Verge doesn't have it going, Christopher is going to start taking the bad shots. That was the thing that was perhaps the most alarming for me Luke was watching them the first game or two of the year and not being familiar with Josh Christopher in high school and then watching him play and being like, oh, this kid's kind of a gunner, and that's the exact opposite of what they need on the wing for this team. Like, they need the smart kind of Mikel Bridges glue guy who makes the extra pass and just makes all these other uh, plays elsewhere while making the dribble drives every now and then. Not a guy who loves 18-footers that are contested. And U of A is just an absolutely perfect matchup because this year's team is super well-coached. They have athleticism, they have length, and they know how to help rec- and recover on defense. And with that advantage against ASU, I'm very surprised that Thursday's game wasn't a blowout as well. I thought it was going to be after the first five minutes, just was how they match up stylistically. But it got to go back to the drawing board. But I, I just really think Hurley's system especially needs more of like a pass-first point guard. And he's never had one in Tempe, and I don't know why, because – Luke, that's the player Bobby Hurley was. Yeah. <laughs> he was that guy. Maybe he needs to go out there and play it. I don't know why he doesn't want to go find a someone like him, you know, because it would be perfect for what they need in terms of the talent that he brings in. That's the only piece that's been missing. This team was also just like they, they lost Romello White and really were, were thin in the front court to begin with when White left. So it, it's a tough season for them, especially with all the hype that they had. Um I think Hurley's a good coach, though. I think I, I don't think it's time for him to go by any means, but I just think that there needs to be a change in terms of the type of players they've gone for in the past four to five years. Yeah, none of that made me feel better, but I don't disagree with any of it. I think you're pretty much spot on, and I'm glad you said that about Hurley, too, because it really does sound like they just need Bobby Hurley from 30 years ago out there running the show in, in Tempe. Um, Kellen Olsen, great stuff as always. Thanks for the time, man. Enjoy the uh, the upcoming home games here for the Suns. He'll find his T.J. McConnell. I believe in Bobby Hurley. He can do it. <laughs> Thanks. That's Kellen Olson. Of course, you can find his stuff on ArizonaSports.com. He joined us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference. Visit CoulterCadillacTempe.com. When we come back, we'll hear from a former 
Cardinals head coach, who is uh, about to coach in the Super Bowl here in less than two weeks. Bruce Arians joined the Doug and Wolf show this morning. We'll play part of that interview for you next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Akjin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. It is the Rundown Reload, and it starts with baseball tonight. The Hall of Fame induction. Uh, well, nobody's making the Hall of Fame. The closest anybody got was Kurt Schilling, so more on him in a second. You need 75% of the vote to get in. Barry Bonds finished second. He had 61.8%. Roger Clemens, 61.6%. It's no secret why those guys are not being voted in, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, Barry Bonds is one of the, what, two or three greatest hitters of all time, and Roger Clemens is one of the best pitchers of all time. Scott Rowland, 52.9%. Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, all the names up there that uh, that didn't make it. Now, one name passed the 70% threshold. you got to hit 75%, and that is Kurt Schilling who in a letter to the Hall of Fame that he tweeted out, uh, he posted on Facebook, but he had tweeted out the link to it uh, late this afternoon. He said in that letter, it's, it's a lengthy letter and you can read it, uh, certainly. It's, it's, it's a good one. He said originally it was, it was uh, intended to be just seen by the people at the Hall of Fame, but you know at this point he, um, he put it out there for everybody to read it. So I, you know, whatever your, your feelings are on Kurt Schilling, I should say it's a good one, just in, in that it's it's insightful in, into you know how he feels about things. And one of the highlights, if you are a Diamondbacks fan or if you're a sports fan in Arizona, which I assume you are, if you're listening to this show, he was going to go in as a Diamondback if he got in. Which, look, he obviously accomplished a lot with the Diamondbacks. I mean, won their World Series. If I recall correctly, and I know that I do, he was the one pitching when the Boston Red Sox broke the curse and uh, and you know rally beat the Yankees come back and you win that series down 3-0 and you ultimately win the World Series um, you know he also had a good career in Philadelphia even and uh, he, he said he had chosen the Diamondbacks had he made it he doesn't want to be considered with the uh, the baseball writers voting next year I believe that's the last year he was eligible for that and there's other ways to get in but he doesn't want to do that anymore he got the 71.1 percent which if I understand correctly if my math is correct that's 16 votes shy of getting in and again according to Kurt Schilling if he had gotten in he was going in as a member of the Diamondbacks but uh, at least for now that is not happening over to college basketball ASU had a game last night and it didn't get postponed although they played like it was postponed starting out down 12 to nothing uh, if you heard Kellen Olson on with us earlier, he it wasn't even just so much last night's game, but he just said in general what he has seen from this team is they don't, don't seem to have a very a good amount of structure on offense, whether that's intentional or not. What happened in the first half last night was not intentional. There's no way. And certainly more disappointment if you are a Sun Devil fan, myself included. I mean, I did go there. They had a chance to avenge what they thought was an unjust loss last Thursday to U of A when it came down to the wire and U of A had to put back with less than a second to go. And and, and there's no debate that the shot went in in time. But, of course, Bobby Hurley was really upset uh, about what he thought should have been a a foul called uh, against the uh, the defender that that fouled Remy Martin 
with about 30, under 30 seconds. So we were down under 10 seconds left at that point in the game. And that led to U of A being able to come down still tied with a chance to win instead of Remy Martin shooting free throws with a chance to essentially win for ASU. You know, you go back, you look at that play, and yeah, it was a foul. There were a lot of missed calls in that game on both sides. But the the bottom line at the end of that game on Thursday, and when we talked about it on Friday, was in a weird quirk of the schedule, ASU had a chance to quickly avenge that loss against U of A last night, five days later. A game that was not supposed to be played until March 6th gets moved up so both teams can have that last week of the season open to reschedule other games that have been postponed potentially so the one game left on the schedule where you would look and say this if there's any one game that ASU could win and it might jumpstart them to to really just honestly just play to their potential they've got enough talent on this team to be a lot better than four and eight Well, that one game was last night, and they did not show up in the first half. They tried to push back in the second half, but the final score is 80-67, to and it was not that close if you watched it. And if you were a Sun Devil fan, you probably had a hard time watching the whole thing because the first half, it was just so bad. I mean, it's one thing. Teams go on 12-0 runs, right? But when you start the game like that, and you're already down by that much before, before anybody even really settles in, that's a tough one. ASU just looks so disjointed, and I don't know if it's the weight of expectations, if it is the intrusiveness that uh, the pandemic has has been able, to, just the impact it has had on on this college basketball season for a lot of teams, especially for ASU. I don't know if it's a combination of everything. I don't know if if they have a bunch of talented pieces, but they don't fit together right. They they just haven't had a chance to gel, or they're just not going to. It is. It was already feeling like a lost season a week ago before they even played U of A the first time. And now looking back, it almost feels remarkable they had a chance to win that first game against U of A. And, uh, and now, I mean, they've lost six in a row, but you throw in five postponed or canceled games in that stretch too. They haven't won a basketball game since December 13th against GCU, barely, by one point. And if you don't remember that game, it's probably because you were watching Cardinals-Giants that day when the Cardinals beat the Giants 26-7. That's the last time ASU won a basketball game. That was week 14 of the NFL season. Talk about a team that just needs any sort of victory. They will host Cal on Thursday, Stanford on Saturday, so maybe it's better for them that they have the rare three-game week, which doesn't happen a whole lot in college basketball. Or maybe it's just going to pile on. I mean, we'll, we'll see at some point you would think they would bounce back and uh, and want to put a stop to this because I'm sure it's just frustrating to, to live through it as a player, too. Uh, as of now, they have 11 games officially scheduled left, but as I said, 4-8 and eight overall, 1-5 and five in the Pac-12. They're going to have to go on a crazy run to be considered for the NCAA tournament, and um, that felt like almost a, a formality at the start of the season. This is the highest expectations I can remember for an ASU basketball team in uh, the last 10 years. And they are really, really struggling with it now. Uh, Phoenix Suns, sticking with basketball, but over to the NBA. They will host the Oklahoma City Thunder tomorrow night. Heard from DeAndre Ayton earlier today attributing uh, his turnarounds or his, his, you know, taking the next step is maybe a better way to put it. Attributing a lot of that to Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. Again, we talked to Kellen Olsen earlier in the show, and he gave us his thoughts on it as well. If you missed that, you can find it all. Uh, in the podcast section of, of uh, ArizonaSports.com. But for the Suns, 8-7, and seven, 
you know, in a bit of a slump. Maybe a slump is a, is too strong of a way to put it, but they've lost three of their last four. Two of them to Denver. One of them they should have won. You know, and, and, and stuff happens. Calls get missed over the course of the season. You got to move on. This will be their first game tomorrow where they get a chance to prove that as a team they have moved on. But in terms of just evaluating what you have, they probably should be two and two in their last four. The impressive play by DeAndre Ayton hasn't translated to wins yet, but it just it really does feel like for the last 10 years the Suns have been trying to build a puzzle and it's a thousand piece puzzle and there were years in there where it felt like they had like 27 of the thousand pieces. And then last year it was like, okay, we know maybe we got like 850 of the pieces or whatever. It feels like they have the pieces now. They just have to figure out a way to put them all together and uh, so far it hasn't quite happened, but the, the, the recent play by DeAndre Ayton is encouraging more so than anything else. And if he keeps that going, you got to figure this team is going to turn a corner here at, at some point soon. Eight and seven, still above 500, but it'd be nice to go out there and get a win against Oklahoma City tomorrow. And of course, today is the unfortunate anniversary one year ago today. Kobe Bryant, uh, his daughter, and seven other uh, people lost their lives in that helicopter accident in Southern California talked about it briefly uh, earlier just uh it, what what has really stood out to me since that day and that day itself was was weird for everybody uh myself included i was i was in southern california that morning and it just you you could just it was unavoidable how it swept over the city uh just something that that, that didn't seem real then didn't seem real i remember talking to some of my my good friends that, that I grew up with just watching basketball all those years, talking to them in the, the weeks after that and being like, this, this isn't real, right? Like, it just it still didn't seem real. And even a year later, it doesn't really seem real. But what is real is how much the impact that Kobe Bryant made on this generation of NBA players and even just basketball players in general and college and everything too. But you know, the best, the best players of this next generation in the NBA – and they all looked up to Kobe Bryant, and they have made it very clear how much he influenced their careers, how much he made them want to play basketball, how much he made them want to have that sort of that mentality, that Mamba mentality, right? You get the lead, and the game, you're not letting up. You know, you're not out there playing basketball for your individual brand or for the money. I mean, that stuff is great, but you're out there to win. And just being that just nasty, fierce competitor, it is. It's not a shock that so many players, the Devin Bookers, the Damian Lillards, but it's not just those guys. It's, it really feels like it's like 95% of the league, if not 100. Uh, it's not a shock that those guys were all impacted by Kobe Bryant because he's one of the greatest players of all time. And he was a player that I think really resonated with younger fans, just the way he played the game. But it has been eye-opening just how much he impacted not just NBA players, but this next generation of athletes in all sports and uh, and certainly his impact on the community as well. So today is a tough day. Uh, I'm sure it's 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 even tougher in in, uh, in L.A. But, um, you know, it, over the last year, it's just kind of one of those things where you, you know, just take the time to, to learn about the impact he had as a person and uh, as a professional athlete and um we all knew that it was extensive, but man, in, in, over the last year, it's, it's been evident just how extensive it was. All right, we come back. We are going to hear from A.Q. Shipley of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, now working with Bruce Arians. Can't play in the Super Bowl. He's hurt. His playing day is pretty much over. 
but uh, but he's a part of the Super Bowl coming up. He's part of the Buccaneers for a good chunk of this season, and he joined Bickley and Murata this morning. We're going to hear from him next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Well, we talked about this on the show yesterday. The the big loser of this NFL weekend that has just passed very clearly was the Green Bay Packers. And I guess it would be everybody in the NFC West if Aaron Rodgers were to join the San Francisco 49ers. Doesn't sound, and we talked about this yesterday, like I said, I, I, I never felt like he was going to the 49ers. It's not impossible at this point. I mean, it's sports in 2021, anything is possible. But it seems a lot less likely today that he's going anywhere. Um, Matt LaFleur, after the game on Sunday, to be fair, did say, quote, uh, Aaron Rodgers, quote, better be back, unquote. I know I threw an extra quote in there, but whatever. The quote was better be back, uh, calling him their leader. Mark Murphy, the GM, said, uh, quote, we're not idiots. Aaron Rodgers will be back. He's our leader, unquote. That was uh, courtesy of CBS today, and they were citing a tweet by Mark Daniels. That's uh, the Packers GM. I mean, That is kind of what it boils down to, right? If you let Aaron Rodgers go, it's not the smartest move you could make. Um, Aaron Rodgers himself on the Pat McAfee show had this to say about his future. I don't feel like I said anything that I hadn't said before. Um, You know, I said it the first time I talked to the media. Uh, Just it was more a realization, I think, uh, that my ultimately my future is is not necessarily in in my control and i think that was what just kind of hit me in the moment i was thinking about you know uh, aaron jones and Corey lindsley and um, other guys we have under contract uh, big dog you know guys who i don't know what their future is going to be and then myself included uh now obviously after the season that i had and um you know potentially win an mvp and, you know, we Definitely. obviously made it another good run. I don't think that there's any reason why I wouldn't be back. But, look, I think there's there's not many absolutes, as you guys know, in this business. So to to make an absolute statement about something that is is not an absolute, just I, I didn't do it, you know, and I, I guess that's why it went kind of nuts. Yeah, look, I mean, if, if... – if anybody is safe in the NFL on their team, you know, because the NFL is, is certainly the sport where owners really control everything. And uh, it's like the exact opposite of the NBA, where the players control everything. I mean, probably the owners control too much in the NFL, and the players may control a little too much in the NBA. But but either way, if there are any NFL players that can set the terms of, of where they're going to finish out their career— Aaron Rodgers is on that very short list, and he should be, right? I mean, it's it's guys like Larry Fitzgerald, Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes is very early in his career, but it's a very short list. But still, I mean, if you're even if you're Aaron Rodgers, don't you feel a little blindsided when your team uses their first round pick after you just went to the NFC Championship? This is last year on a quarterback. Like I, I am very fully of the belief that Aaron Rodgers is going to be good to great in this league for another three, four years if he wants to be. Five years, maybe even. Maybe, maybe the fifth year he's good. Um, you're telling me Green Bay couldn't find their quarterback of the future you know, in two years, three years? <laughs> so I understand why he would be rattled at that point. And certainly the comments that everybody kind of went crazy about 
were right after that gut-wrenching loss to the Buccaneers on Sunday. And I do think a lot of people were kind of waiting for Aaron Rodgers to blow up at some point this season just because of the Jordan Love pick. And then you have the way the end of that game played out. Uh, Here's more from Aaron Rodgers again on the Pat McAfee Show. To me, a reality, not a certainty or an absolute, is that my future is not in my hands. Now, that's really the case for all of us, I think, as players. But you can't, I think, naturally, there's times where you let your mind go to maybe, I'm going to be a Packer for life, or I'm going to be, you know, uh, I'm going to be like a Tim Duncan or a Jeter or a Kobe and play with one team my entire career. I think, naturally, you dream about that. I mean, that's kind of like a dream scenario, and I've talked about that for much of my career. I think, you know, when, when they drafted Jordan, it was more just like the, reality kicking in going hey that's actually never the case there are no absolutes in this business and i think it's a beautiful thing to sit with and to and to wrap your head around and i did and and i got to a a beautiful place about it doesn't mean that that's not still a reality i think that's the only reality is that there is no absolutes in this business i just reiterated that after the game and i get it some people are like well you just threw 48 touchdowns and probably gonna win mvp yeah i understand that but again, there's no absolutes in this business. So I gave a, a real answer in the moment. Um, and then people, obviously, it's a slow week. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's that slow of a week. I, I think I think Aaron Rodgers, you know, the thing is, if, if Aaron Rodgers were to switch teams, the reason everybody was freaking out, especially in Green Bay, if Aaron Rodgers switches teams, that changes the entire dynamic of the NFL next year, right? I mean, not only is he on the short list of players that should be able to dictate where they finish their careers, but he is on the short list of players where if they switched teams, it would change everything right now. I found it so just confusing almost to the point of being hilarious this past offseason when everybody was just kind of like, I shouldn't say everybody, but there was this swell of like, oh yeah, Aaron Rodgers, he's on the, the downside of his career. I've made this point before when, when Cody Fincher was in here, we were talking about it uh, earlier in the season. Now, Aaron Rodgers, where did he go in your fantasy football draft if you were playing this season? He didn't go all that high. I was in the league where I got him like the eighth round as my second quarterback because I took Deshaun, I don't know if it was Deshaun Watson or Kyler Murray early, but it's like, he's going to win MVP. I I never understood this offseason when people were like, well, the Packers have drafted their next quarterback. Aaron Rodgers must be done. You know, he's turning 37. Tom Brady's 43. He might win the Super Bowl in a week and a half. I understand you can't play running back in the NFL at age 43. You can barely play running back in the NFL at age 27. But at quarterback, if you're a true all-time great, and Aaron Rodgers is, I think one of the two or three best quarterbacks of all time, just in terms of raw talent, but also being able to put it all together. And I know now there's like this this pushback the other way if he can't win big games. He lost to Tom Brady. You know, I mean, I know he's lost other NFC championships, but I, I would I would encourage you to go back and look at some of those years. He did not have NFC championship caliber teams around him some of those years. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And if you're that good, you can play as long as you want to play, you know, within reason. And it sounds like Aaron Rodgers wants to play for a while. It sounds like he wants to stay in Green Bay. It makes no sense for them to move on from him at all. It like, it makes even less sense than Houston trading Deshaun Watson. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, side note, 
Teams that should be trading for Deshaun Watson? Houston. That's the sort of player Houston needs to build around. But with with Rodgers, it doesn't make any sense to move on from him. And yet now, you know, look at it the other way. What if Rodgers is great for another three or four years? If you're Green Bay, you, you really can't move on from him without taking a huge PR hit in your hometown. If you do move on from him, now it's going to be you doing it because it sounds like he's not going to push for that. You absolutely know if they moved on from Aaron Rodgers this offseason or next offseason, he would definitely torch them at some point on the field the following year. Like, you know Aaron Rodgers would find a team on the Packers schedule and go there. But if, you, if, if you're going to hold on to him for three or four more years, well, then what are you doing with Jordan Love? Because you did just draft him, and you drafted him too early. Not like too early in the draft or anything, but you just you didn't need a quarterback yet. And <laughs> how many people said this at the time? I'm sure somewhere in the Packers front office they were looking around saying, wait a minute, why is Jordan Love still here? He should have been drafted earlier. Okay, that doesn't mean you have to take him unless you think you can trade him or something, but you got to be aware of who your quarterback is and maybe you put a chip on Aaron Rodgers' shoulder. There's already a lot of chips on Aaron Rodgers' shoulder, but uh, I, I don't... It just didn't feel like a good move at the time, and it feels like an even worse move now because... At best, you took a weapon away from Aaron Rodgers, whether that's on the offensive side of the ball or on the defensive side, in a year where you were a legitimate Super Bowl contender. You know, I mean, you're you're five points away from being in the Super Bowl right now. And, you know, at worst, you're going to anger your starting quarterback who's one of the best of all time. You might lose him, although it doesn't sound so much like that right now. Or you may have just drafted a guy that's going to have to sit on your bench for like three or four years in Jordan Love. Or are you going to be able to move him? I mean, obviously not that many other teams were as high on him on draft night as the Packers are. And I don't know how his stock would have gone up in the last year. It's just, it it was an odd decision when it happened. And now here we are at the end of the season that that draft was going into. And it, it doesn't make a whole lot more sense, you know? The Packers just missed going to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers is still answering questions two days after getting eliminated from Tom from the playoffs by Tom Brady. He's still answering questions about Jordan Love. As long as they're both there, he's still going to be answering questions about Jordan Love. It's not one of those situations where Rodgers is a quarterback who's going to be playing badly and looking over his shoulder. But I, I don't know. I just I, I never understood it. I know I'm not alone in that. I think most people didn't understand it. And now Somebody's going to lose out. I mean, Jordan Love doesn't need to sit on the bench for four years. But uh, the Packers really do not need to be moving on from their quarterback that just took them to -to back-to-back NFC championships. And if he either runs right on third down or maybe they go for it on fourth down, he could be playing in the Super Bowl this weekend. And it would be the State Farm matchup between Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. All right, when we come back, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Alex Okafor, former Cardinal, playing for the Chiefs. We'll hear from him next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.